Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 6, uh, verses 13 through 20. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, your word is a light into our feet, a lamp into our path. We pray that you would bless the reading of your word, um, open it to us, and um, speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus, having gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the Word of God for the people of God. So I have um, ran a few times the St. Jude Marathon. Now, you're probably thinking what most people think when I tell them that. They, they look out, down and they say, you mean the half marathon. And I correct and say, well, actually, no, I've, I've, I've done that a few times, but I've done the, the full marathon. And when I, when I have, one of the things that surprised me most, other than that you can train for a marathon and not lose weight if you eat enough, is also the fact that I was surprised at how encouraged I was by strangers with signs and high fives. You kind of run up through part, and there's not a whole lot of folks, but you kind of after the first mile or so, you begin coming up off the river into Bill Street area, and there's crowds cheering you on, and all these neat signs with little sayings that are encouraging you and kind of funny. And with all that, if you don't know what you're doing like me, you begin to run faster than you ought to be running to be able to maintain a marathon race. And then you, you go to the St. Jude campus and you see the families and children and you remember what you're doing and you, you run even more. And you, you go down streets where people are out um, just having a festive time and it's, you can do this, you've got this. And there's one part after the half marathon splits off from the marathon that there's a long stretch with really not much of anything. Um, I think there was tumbleweeds. I mean, it's just there's not as much encouragement. But I, I was running this, and I came through kind of an area where a gas station, and there was just one guy at this gas station and kind of gives a fist bump and says, you've got this. And that was enough to just keep encouraging to, to go on. And so as I as, um, finished it up, you know, the last couple of miles, if you're not a real runner, like, I'm not. You, it looks more like a zombie apocalypse scene. I mean, you're just kind of dragging limbs to get across the finish line, but you make it. You get across, not because, you know, you're, you're that great, but because in part, all the encouragement that people have given. What I never did was 
see a sign that says, you've got this, you can do it, where I've said, okay, I'm done, and I sit down. That's not what happens. Encouragement, you've got this, motivates you to keep going, to persevere. I mean, you've probably experienced that in anything that you've done. You, you, maybe you've faced a difficult task, and other people are just saying, yes, you can do it. I know you can. Well, proper um, encouragement does that. And that's what we see going on in this passage of Hebrews. And I think it's interesting, normally what happens is when we hear people say, oh, the doctrine of eternal perseverance, that if, if you're truly a believer, God is at work in your life, that means if you believe you're saved just by grace and that you're going to be saved because God's grace keeps on through life, that means you have an excuse just to sit down and do nothing and say, well, I'm going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter what I do. But anyone who's lived the faith knows that's not the way it works. And, and the Bible doesn't assume that's the way it works. Any more than someone sees a sign of saying, you can finish, you can do this, just sits down at the middle of the race. We who are running the race that is set before us, he wants us to be encouraged that God has got you. You have hope. You have assurance. God's promises are sure. That's not an excuse to sit down. That's encouragement to persevere and hold fast and keep going. And that's what he's doing here. And he's encouraged us, we saw last week, that he says that, that, you, that each one of you would show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. In other words, you need to be warned. Don't, don't let go. Don't stop believing. Be a good song. It be a nice prelude this morning. That you, you keep going. You, you push forward. And because, because you know he's got you, you have a hope, you have an assurance, and let's show you an example. And here's the example, Abraham. For when God made a promise to Abraham, he took a vow saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And the passage that he's referring to is the passage from Genesis chapter 22. It's the passage where um, Abraham is tested by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. God had told Abraham, I promise you I'm going to raise up a child, and from that child you're going to have many grandchildren. You're going to have nations come from you. And... Uh, even when Abraham decided to have a surrogate through Hagar and they had Ishmael, God said, no, I promise you, you're going to have a child through Sarah who's going to be your son. And there's this promise that's repeated. And then God says, take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. And Abraham goes and, and we read this, and obviously the first thing that just hits us is the overwhelming anguish of how could this be? But beyond that is Abraham has to be thinking, here's the promise of children and grandchildren and a nation that's going to be raised up for me. But God is somehow going to do this. God is somehow going to keep this promise, and God stops his hand from doing this, kind of giving us a, this is not what I desire. And in that moment, he says, because you have trusted me, his faith is counted as righteousness, but because you have trusted me, 
I take a vow that I'm going to keep my covenant promise. I'm going to make you mine. I'm going to raise up a nation that are going to be my people, and I'm going to bless all of the world through your children, through your seed, telling us that we are going to be the ones who receive this incredible blessing through Jesus, who is part of the seed of Abraham. But the point he is wanting us to see here is that Abraham was patient, waited years to hold this promise. He was faithful, even to the point of, I don't understand how this could be, but I trust God. He's promised that through Isaac is going to be my grandchildren. And he patiently waited and obtained the promise, and this promise was confirmed with a vow. And it's a big point that Hebrews is wanting to make for us. When we really mean something, we make a vow, right? We go get a bank. Uh, we, go, we, we go to a, buy a car, and, you know, I can't just shake the salesman's hand and say, yes, we'll send you a check once a month. No, he wants a vow. He wants a piece of paper. The way we do vows now is we sign it, notarize it, and that sort of thing. Back then, they would have, ra- you know, raised their hand and said, may God strike me dead or maybe split me open like these calves if I don't keep my vow. But, but we, we instinctively know we have to say something. And people say, I'm honest. I'm, and we take a vow on something greater than ourself, you know, even to the point that kids know, cross my heart, hope to die. I'm taking a vow. This is the truth. What's greater than God? How could God say, as God is my witness, as I am my witness? I mean, that, the whole point is God can't say anything greater because God's word is final. He's final. And, and so what he wants to see is God has made this promise repeatedly to Abraham. I'm gonna, you're going to have a son. 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 And that should be enough because God cannot lie. But because God's love for us, that he wants us to have something to hold on to, I mean, what more can we ever do other than swear in court that I'm telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? God shouldn't be required to. He's greater. He doesn't lie. His promise is sure. But to confirm to us weak humans, he even says, I take a vow. And he vows on himself. So in, ver- in Genesis 22, he says, I by myself swear that you're going to have a nation and be a blessing to all the nations of the world. He, he takes an oath by himself. And so what he's saying is that we have double confidence because God's promises have also been confirmed by God's oath. He told us he is going to see us through to salvation, that he is going to continue to work with us even when we stumble and fail and screw up. He's going to keep on loving us. Another good song. He's going to keep working in us to fulfill his purpose and to bring us to himself and make us as pure and holy as Jesus and bring us into eternal life. He's going to do this. He swears. And so, The way we trust this and the way we know this, he says, is that we want to follow this example, and here's what we have. We have a sure and steady anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, as a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So what he's pointing to here is in the temple, in the tabernacle, as as offerings were made, 
there was a court where sacrifices, where a priest would be. There was area where sacrifices were made. There was a, behind the court, in the centermost part of the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, and it had a veil. It had a curtain, and only the great high priest would enter into this veil once a year to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people because in this area was the Ark of the Covenant. In this area was symbolized the very presence of God Almighty. And and there's a sense in which that to go beyond the veil, to go beyond that curtain, because God is there, he's drawing us into heaven itself. To enter there is to enter very much heaven because it is the God's presence. And what he's saying is Jesus, as our high priest, is our forerunner. He represents us. He's going where we are going to go, and he has gone beyond that curtain into life itself, beauty itself, truth itself, the promise itself, every source. He has gone into eternal life in that moment, and that's our hope. And that hope is so sure and firm that what he wants us to see is it's like an anchor. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul. What is an anchor? It's a weight. I mean, it's something that's not going to be moved. It's going to be something heavy and sometimes with claws. And what it does is it goes down into the seabed. It goes down and kind of goes up under the dirt some, digs into the dirt, and it holds fast. And those on the boat, they don't see the anchor. The anchor is beneath them down into where something is unmovable by anything else. It's holding fast. And so there's going to be a little bit where the winds might blow you this way and you're going to go as far as the the anchor will let you go with that tether. The waves might blow you this way and you're going to go as much as that way because the waves are pushing you, but you're not going to go beyond because the anchor is not going to move. So, brothers and sisters, think about this. Here is the image. Your soul is anchored to heaven through Jesus Christ himself. It is beyond into the holy of holies. And so whatever we face in this life, we know that we have a sure and steadfast hope as our hearts by faith are united to an unmovable anchor that's not gripping a seabed but is gripping heaven itself. And so just think of this metaphor. Let's play with it a bit. It doesn't matter what's going on around that boat. The winds could be blowing hard. The rains could be coming down. The storms could be tossing. The waves makes no difference because the anchor is what counts. The people in the boat, you might have one sailor saying, hey, we've got this. We have a good anchor. And another one might be thinking, I don't know. There's a lot of waves, and I'm really scared, and things are moving a whole lot Neither one are moving. It's not their faith that makes the anchor. It's the anchor itself that holds them. The boat, you can look at and say, well, probably need some new paint. We're redoing the floor. We could use some heat. But it doesn't matter. It's the anchor that holds it fast. And so what Hebrews wants us to know is you've stumbled in sin again. You have an anchor. 
you're frightful about the things that's coming in your life. You're anxious. There's things that might be good things that you're worried about. There might be horrible news that you've just received. It's like the winds and the waves that are blowing you. It doesn't matter. You have an anchor in heaven. You might be one day really confident in your faith. Another day you're, you're just, God doesn't feel close. And I'm not sure if my prayers are doing anything. You have an anchor. And so this is one of those messages that we hear that whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whatever comes tomorrow, what matters is you have a sure and steady anchor. His promises are not going to fail. And whatever you look at and whatever you see and whatever is blowing and hitting against your life, that anchor will not move. And that should encourage you to get up tomorrow, pray, confess, hear his word, hear his promises, and love your neighbor. Attend to the means of grace, trust in him, and persevere, and do it again, and do it again, and do it again until he brings you across the finish line and brings you into heaven itself. Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine, be honor and glory and power forever. Amen. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe through the words of the Apostles' Creed.